Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. This episode's probably going to be a little bit more weighty than some of the stuff that we normally do, but it's because we're talking about a converse, uh, a topic that is a very heavy and very serious topic. Um, so what we're going to be talking about today is uh, Islamophobia. There's no question that there has been a significant increase in hate crimes, particularly in Alberta, over the last little while. Uh, and it seems like they're getting more and more violent. And a lot of this comes from, I believe at least, but I'm the middle-aged white guy, uh, a lot of this comes from a place of, of misunderstanding and fear. But in order to make sure that we don't do a big thing badly talking about this, we're bringing in uh, a very heavy gun, somebody who has spoken to this issue a great deal, somebody who's a community leader, uh, an activist, um, and a, an incredible advocate for disenfranchised people uh, of many different communities. So it's a real privilege, and I'm so happy and excited to be welcoming Saima Jamal to the show. Saima, thank you so much for coming on and joining us today. Thanks, Nate. It's my pleasure to be here today. I haven't I haven't seen you in a while, so I'm like I'm I'm, I'm going to try really hard not to do like silly small talk and stay on topic. Um, so to start with, before we get into the, the heavier stuff, who, just so our audience knows, who, who is Simon? What's, what's your story? Well, Simon Jamal is a local activist. Um, people seem to um, know uh, my name and my work, and um, uh, they resonate with the work that I've done with the refugee population in Calgary. And uh, a lot of my humanitarian work through the Calgary Immigrant Support Society. And um, of course, my activism work um, when it comes to peace and conflict issues, um, you know, issues with uh, uh, racism, Islamophobia, gender issues, um, issues that affects uh, minority communities, whether it is um, Muslims, um, Sikhs, racialized people, you know, black people. Um, I am, I try my best to, you know, speak out for people that, whose voices aren't always represented. Um, and um, I do it in a way where I bring the, the grassroots, the, the, what, the conversation that's really happening to the people that this is happening to. Not so much in a uh, what you see in the in the institutional level or in the uh, business community or in the university, but more what the average people are going through. You know what is happening on the ground, what is happening on the streets, what is happening in people's homes, what kind of what what are they feeling, what are what is what is happening to them, and I try my level best to have constant conversation with the people on the ground so that I can bring those voices uh, when I do speak out to the media or wherever I am. So that's uh, in, a, in a bit about uh, my work as an activist. I do still work um, with a lot of refugees in Calgary when it comes to employment or give them support in all different ways, you know, financial crisis, um, just settlement support uh, when they come as a newcomer to Calgary. Um, so yeah, that's that's a little bit about me in terms of the professional level. I am a mom. Um, I'm a graduate from the University of Calgary. I've been living in Calgary for the last, what, since 1998. So that's 23 years. Yeah. Um, came as an international student, became an immigrant. And yeah. Um, 
what should I say? I love this city from the moment I arrived and I do everything possible to make whoever arrived after me the most, this to be the most welcoming city possible. So yes. Awesome. That's, I, I, I feel like you're still being a little bit humble, but I'll, I'll let you get away with it. Um, so let's talk about Islamophobia uh, because we are definitely seeing, I think an emboldening of quite frankly, hateful and racist, not only attitudes, but actions. Uh, just recently we saw the, the vandalism uh, of a mosque in, in Edmonton. Uh, and as, as I mentioned earlier, early on, there's, there's been a uh, quite alarming increase in violence towards um, Muslim women, but in particular Muslim women who are wearing clothing uh, that is representative of their faith. So before we get too far into the, the Islamophobia piece, can we talk about the, the clothing articles a little bit? Um, do you want to talk about the clothing article, like Muslim women and the kind yeah. of clothes that they wear? Well, yeah, let's just um, put it in context. For, 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 for myself, I'm not a hijabi woman. I, I dress modestly, but uh, a lot of Muslim women, they cover their head they wear clothes up till uh, their uh, sleeves is covered, you know, their legs are covered. Um, so it's just all about, um, you know, dressing up modestly and dressing up uh, for the sake of Allah to just uh, do it for him and for yourself. And um, this way, when you cover your head, you cover your hair, um, people notice that, you know, you're a covered lady. And uh, it is a visible symbol of being a Muslim, you know, and um, men have the same thing too. Uh, they they uh, have a beard. They sometimes wear a topi, this little hat on their head, you know. So um, those are also visible symbols of being Muslim. So let's say <clears throat> I'm walking down the street, you know, um, and my I'm wearing traditional clothes, let, let's say, because we as Muslims come from all different countries, whether you're Arab, you're wearing the abaya, you know, the full long dress, or if you come from uh, South Asia, India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, you know, if you're wearing your traditional clothes, it's a little longer than your knees, but you're wearing these loose pants, you wear, you know, the head covering still, but uh, it's you're still visibly Muslim. You know, it doesn't matter which, uh, you know, Muslim country you're coming from. So um, you, you, you come to this country, you adopt um, all the good stuff in this country, but you still want to hold on to your culture. You still want to hold on to your religion because those are things that are very, that's what defines you. If you just throw them out, you know, a lot of people then lose their roots you know, some people, they fully adopt the Western way of dressing, talking, eating and everything, which is fine. That's your personal choice. But as living in a free country, we should be able to dress up the way we want. Whether we want to go wearing short skirts or we want to go as a covered person, we have that um, we, we have that freedom to do that. And the moment somebody sees that simple dress up as a threat to that person to a point that you hate it so much that you will go and attack and kill those people, you know, that's when it becomes very, very wrong. You know, I, 
I don't know where to start. You know, this whole thing in London that happened, and I'm sure you'll go into that, but it's just that the simple idea that these were visibly Muslim people because the women was wearing a dress that was covered, you know? I mean, forever nuns have covered themselves as well in the same, you know, covering of the head. And that was never seen as hateful. So then you sit and wonder what has been hammered in these attackers' minds that made them feel that a simple dress, a simple way of dressing to be identified as Muslim is somehow hateful and threat, threatened. Why is he threatened by this? Mm. So there you go. Okay. I think you, one of the things that, that, that I want to sort of emphasize in what you just said there uh, is that for, and I, I am sure there are one-offs, I'm sure there are exceptions, but for the overwhelming majority of Muslim women, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the, the degree to which they choose to express their faith through their clothing is a personal choice. It's not something that, that is, is being forced upon them by anyone. It's, it's, it's the, their individual expression of their faith. Am I, am I safe in saying that? You're 100% safe in saying that. You know, even myself, you know, um, I, I never had my parents tell me how they want me to get dressed. You know, but my mom would say sometimes, you know, that, okay, this is not looking good on you. You know, this is just, you know, not doing the right things to your body, you know, dress up nice so you look good. So there is always that, but this dress up is... There, as they say that in our religion, there's no compulsion. So you cannot tell someone that you have to dress this way. But then you know that in a lot of different cultures, they will tell you, you know, your parents will tell you that, no, you can't go out looking like this. You got to dress up more modestly. So yes, this is completely the woman's choice, whether she wants to wear the hijab or the niqab or just dress modestly, you know, this is her choice because she's doing it for one reason and one reason only, to please God, to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know? But then um, it is true also that there is gonna be mothers and fathers or husbands or, you know, people that will tell you that, you know what, I would like you to take the hijab on. But then this is again, at the end, her choice. That person has no right to tell them to do that. They should come, completely from inside you. So do not, you know, equate if in any uh, religion, if, if in Islam, a Muslim woman, somebody else is asking her to do that, uh, it, is, it, is a, it is not something that is in our religion. It is not in Islam. You have that full freedom that Allah has asked you, you do it, but it is up to you. When I reach that faith level, Nate, that maybe one day I'll take the hijab on. I don't have that... Um, strength right now still inside me to take the hijab on but then I wear the hijab in my heart I make sure that you know whatever my religion is telling me to do I dress up modestly I make sure that I don't do things that I'm not supposed to and it gives me happiness you know in doing that so yeah so it's totally a choice yeah I think I wanted to to kind of highlight that because I know one of the perceptions that I've certainly heard discussed in the media is the idea that um, Muslim women are, are forced to, to wear these articles of clothing. And, and while I'm, like I said, I'm sure there are examples where that has happened, I would, I would be comfortable uh, saying that 
in any faith, there are always examples where people use their faith or, or, or twist the faith in order to try to influence people to do things that they don't want to do. I don't think that's necessarily representative of the faith. I think it's representative of the person who's doing the, the, the bullying. For all exactly. Exactly. You said it much better than I did. So I know. I, <laughs> I, I did like a high level summary, but you, you, you did a much better job. Um, so I guess that brings us to the, the, the question then. And, and I, I think that the, the nun example that you use there uh, of, of nuns wearing habits, um, and that has not been the, I can't think of any examples where, where certainly nuns in Canada have been, been aggressively targeted because they're choosing to wear the habit. Um, other than, I mean, bad Hollywood movies and bad media coverage, why, why do you think people have this reaction? that's where you uh went wrong and i wouldn't say it wrong but that bad hollywood movie and the mass media it really does play the largest part in in in, in spreading islamophobia everywhere and i'll tell you this you know when i started university i, I went through university during time of 9 11 so I started in 1998, I graduated in 2003. I was a student uh, during 9-11 and I saw at that time how at that, do you remember that Craigie Hall bus stop at the University of Calgary yep. where we used to wait for the bus to come and we'd take the bus from there. And I'd remember like these Muslim women all you know, covered women that were passing by and it used to be like a loop you know, where cars would like pass through. And I remember like women there as they're walking towards the bus stop would have people that are driving by would throw full beer cans at them, you know, right after 9-11, full beer cans. So I've seen Islamophobia from a very long time in this country. For you guys, you might be seeing there's alarming levels of Islamophobia happening now but I've been seeing it for a long time. For the last 20 years, I've been seeing this growing up and up and up. And, and now through every means, you know, it's not just any channel this or Toronto Sun or, or some right-wing newspaper, but it's just mass media. You know, it, it, in all through, we kept on seeing, and not just mass media, you know, Netflix, movies, our politicians, you know, we kept on getting bombarded. You know, we attacked Iraq, where this the Western countries they attacked Iraq, saying that there is you know uh, weapons of mass destruction. But now we found out that it was all about oil. It was all about money and power. There was no weapons of mass destruction. But they made these the Iraqi people. They killed like a million people there. Half a million were dead. You know, they were killed, and it happened because of the demonization of Muslims, you know, that this, it was okay to go and kill them. It was because they are terrorists, because somehow what happened in 9-11 by actual terrorists is related to the killings of people in Iraq, because that word was constantly associated with Muslims. You know, then look at um, moving forward and, Let's look at, you know, we were just going through in the city all over Canada, this whole Palestinian issue. You know, they, Palestine is under occupation. And, but then 
constantly in the media, in, in our politician, what's the one word that is associated with Palestinians that people see? It's Muslims. What's that other word that people constantly get hammered in the media that is also associated with Palestinians? Terrorism. You know, they keep on calling them terrorists. Oh, the Hamas is the terrorist, the Palestinian terrorists, the suicide bombers, this and that and whatnot. So you see, when you think about the root causes of Islamophobia, this, what is terrorism? Is it a person, uh, a thing, a place? You know, it isn't. It's an action. Terrorism is an action. So let's say um, you, you have a man, he, he comes into your house and he, you know, puts you, he comes to rob your house. He, he he's terrorizes you, he puts you in a room and he's uh, torturing you doing whatever while he's, you know, plundering your house. He's terrorizing you, you know? And, um, and, and then you have Muslims, you know, that they call as Muslim, but they use the word terrorism not to terrorize you. They use it always with the word Islam. You know, Islamic terrorists, Islamists, you know. So for us, the word terrorism, whether it is through media or the politicians or countries like Israel or countries like the United States, constantly they demonize us with that word to a point that in this people like Nathan um, Weltman, Nathaniel Weltman, this person has been seeing getting radicalized by whatever he's been watching online through YouTube or whatever. He's been watching it. So in his mind, he sees that these Muslims are the terrorists. They are the bad people. You know, he wouldn't see this as like he just destroyed his life, his reputation, his family, his everything is finished. He would see it as like, I am fighting something bad. These are the terrorists. These are my enemies. So when you constantly associate the word terrorism with Muslims and Islam, so and you do that through politicians, through media, through Netflix, through Hollywood, through whatever. And people, they follow things. When, when, I, when somebody tells you to do something, people do that. So if all of these are telling you that these are the people that are the bad guys, the terrorists, you are slowly without even thinking are digesting that. Your brain is getting, you know, to understand that this isn't just a family going for a walk. For you in your head, this is a bunch of terrorists walking, you know, the other, the, the, the dangerous people. So until or unless we understand that systematically our institutions have radicalized people to hate Muslims, you know, and think about it, it kept on going. When Trump came in, what was the countries that he banned? The Muslim ban was on countries where refugees were coming from Muslim countries, where travelers were coming to immigrate from Muslim countries. Right away, he made the Muslims as your enemy. They are the people to hate, they are the people to fear, they are the people to stop from coming into this country. When we had the conservative government in place, we had things like the barbaric cultural practices, the niqab ban, everything was associated to Muslims. 
Now we have people like Michelle Rimple, Tim Opal, and all these people apologizing and saying that it was wrong for us to, um, you know, legislate the niqab ban, to legislate the uh, the barbaric cultural practices. It uh, fueled Islamophobia and it um, and it alienated the Muslims in Canada. So we apologize for that. We regret doing that. But then when you ask, uh, you know, uh, our sitting premier, Premier Jason Kenney, who at that time was the, you know, uh, the, the citizenship minister, he at first said, no, I did not support it. And I was like sitting and thinking, is this guy a psychopath to just like come and lie openly like this? And then the next day he says, well, um, I, I, I did uh, support it. But then what did he say? I'm trying to remember. He said something the, completely. Yeah, the way he justified it was is that he said that he would never support a complete ban. He just believes that for, for citizenship or testifying or anything legal, uh, it should still be a, a requirement that, that uh, somebody's face is fully exposed. Yeah, which so is, think about it, which is not even an issue because every Nikabi woman at that time was ready to expose their face for identity purposes. They just wanted to wear the niqab when the identity purpose was done, you know? So that was that. So it's it's crazy how even now, you know, um, our premier is not understanding how horrible those practices were to, um, you know, perpetuate Islamophobia in our society, right? So, and same with Mr. Harper, you know, the, the king of Islamophobia the person that alienated the Muslims the most. You know, I've never had any politician that I can truly say I hate from the bottom of my heart as much as it, I feel towards Mr. Stephen Harper because this man, he did more harm for Muslims than I think any Canadian politicians ever did in the history of Canada. But I'll also tell you that it continues. You might think that, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau, who was... Um, who tries his level best to, you know, bring Muslims to the table. But then when it comes to issues like Israel-Palestine, where these Muslims, these Palestinians, whether they're Christians, Muslims, or whichever, they're, they're dying, they're getting killed in ways that we can't even imagine in here, but he constantly stands with the occupier. He constantly stands with the people that are oppressing the, the these these occupied people. He stands while you know people in the name of religion is taking over entire neighborhoods, claiming that this is our neighborhood because we are Jewish, and you as a Muslim, as a Palestinian, you don't belong here. As a Christian Palestinian, you don't belong here. So when we have politicians constantly perpetuate. Um, and 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 kill all of our um, ability to ask for justice and do not have any Western government actually standing and supporting the, imagine if this whole Israel-Palestine thing, if this was China, you know, China does one human rights abuse and we have like everyone screaming and shouting, you know, like, oh my God, we're going to hold their CEO, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And here, the, the worst human rights abuse in, in history is happening, and we're just quiet, you know? So then what, this quietness, do you know what that brings to us? It gives these Islamophobes a license that, you know what? Even my government is not supporting them 
in what they're doing in 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 Middle Eastern countries, then why do I need to you know be anything different? So it gives them that license that I can go and do whatever I want in terms of killing, terrorizing Muslims. So think about it. Like if we don't address the root causes of Islamophobia, which is the systematic way of demonizing Muslims by constantly associating terrorism with Islam and Muslims, we cannot fight Islamophobia. We cannot stop this hate crime. So until or unless our media, our politicians, Netflix, you know, everything comes together to say that, you know what, this is it. We're not going to be associating the word terrorism with Islamophobia. We're not going to be associating all this negative connotations with Muslim and Islam. We can't fight this. It's, it's fascinating to me, the, the, the terrorism slant and that trope that constantly gets thrown up. Because if you take a look at the, the overwhelming uh, number of domestic terror attacks that have happened in North America, it's not Muslims. Uh, it's it's usually white men, and there there's usually another religion that's that's influencing uh, their decisions. Or actually, let me rephrase that: a perversion of another religion that's, exactly. that's influencing their their actions. Um, it's you're talking about the way that it's it's misrepresented. I think is is really an important piece. Um, I had a a horrible moment a few years back where I, wa- I was watching a documentary on uh, Syria and and Daesh and ISIL, uh, and there was a, a a section of the documentary where they were showing um, the aftermath of barrel bombs having been dropped uh, and. The, there were crowds of, of people rushing towards the, the rubble trying to, to, to help the people that were affected. And they were yelling, Allah Akbar. And that's a phrase that in Western culture is definitely associated with sort of that terrorism trope. And it was a, a, a really difficult moment for me because it, in in that second i processed that that's that's a prayer and when when it's associated with a terrorism trope that's a perversion of what that that prayer is actually trying to to be uh and it for me it was just a really big splash of cold water on the face of like holy have i been indoctrinated and i need to do some work um so uh, yeah the I couldn't agree more with the the fact that our media, uh, all of our media needs to reframe how we're having that whole conversation. Um, exactly. And I'd like to say two things in here. You brought the, the subject of the word Allahu Akbar. You know, as Muslims, we pray five times. And if anybody has seen how Muslims pray, you would see that we have the half bow and then we have the full bow and then we stand up and then we go like this. We go like this, you know, put our hands on our chest or our stomach, depending on your man or woman. So every action of movement comes with the word Allahu Akbar, that Allah is the greatest. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. We put our hands on the chest. When we bow down, we go Allahu Akbar. This is the most constant prayer that we say that God is the greatest. He's greater than any of your trials and tribulations. You don't tell your trials and tri- you don't tell 
God how big your trials and tribulations is. You tell your trials and tribulation how big God is. You know that he can manage and take care of all your problems if you have enough faith in him and if you pray to him and if you are sincere in your prayers. So that's what Allahu Akbar means when you have you know, any joy, you know, when you're finishing a theater or you're watching something great, a speech, everybody goes, bravo, everybody claps. We go, takbir, Allahu Akbar. You know, we say it out of joy. When your daughter is going through the graduation ramp, she just carried her certificate. You go, Allahu Akbar. It's that beautiful prayer reminder that, you know, everything is happening because of the grace of God, because he's so big, he's bringing these things to us. And of course, you know, in Islam, when people also go for, uh, for, for, for battles, you know, that's the same thing. You know, you say, Allahu Akbar, we get, gain our strength from that. So this is a prayer that you say constantly, but then the media has twisted it to say that, okay, you know what? This is the call for jihad, the call for war, the call for battle only. You know, they completely bypassed that what we use Allahu Akbar like 50 times a day, we see it in our prayers, right? So think about it. You, for, you, you bypass, that's why I tell people, you never seem to come to talk to us, the regular Muslims about Islam. Instead, you go to sites where they tell you that, you know what, these Muslims are worshiping Satan. They never tell you that, you know, we, we, we love and respect and see Prophet Isa, uh, uh, Jesus, as one of our most important, uh, you know, prophets. Jesus was the prophet that has been mentioned the most in the Quran, more than Prophet Muhammad, you know, so, and he's the one that we believe is coming, you know, back from his, the dead, and he's going to be leading all the believers and protecting them. That's part of our tenets of belief in Islam. So they don't, learn about those things they learn about the ugly things that they have twisted the verses from the quran and justified into whatever they want them to be and they'll say that oh they beat women they marry children and they do this and that and all kinds of crap that they will constantly you know perpetuate to perpetuate islamophobia you know so that's something that i tell people that you know and you also mentioned that, you know, when others do, um, when, when you look at domestic terrorism, you mentioned right now, most of them are happening from people that are not Muslims. But when they do it, it always gets coined as hate-motivated attack. Mm -hmm. You know, they wouldn't call those terrorism. When the guy in the Quebec massacre, six people he killed, 12 people he shot, so many of them maimed for life, you know, they never, they didn't even call it terrorist attack. You know, they, 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 we, we tried so hard to tell them that this is terrorism and they couldn't call it terrorism. He wasn't charged for terrorism. So think about it. And here we had to sit after the London attack and wait for the terrorism charges to come. And then we were like, finally, you know, this man has been convicted of terrorism charges, Nathaniel Weltman. But if it's a white dude or a non-Muslim person, if it's a, it's a Muslim person, you know, 
well, no matter what happens before he's even charged, he's already convicted of terrorism. Oh, because he's Muslim. So he must be a terrorist. This is a terrorism attack. This is, and then that's how it keeps on going. Do you see the double standard in here? So if you constantly see that, oh, if it's a Muslim, it has to be a terrorist, you know? So then what are people going to think in their mind? If that entire system is, is made to demonize Muslims into terrorism, terrorists, what are, how are people supposed to be thinking otherwise? Do you think they'll think of us as what we really are? Waking up in the morning, brush your teeth, do your makeup, going to work, making sure that your son is at school, making sure that his school is getting done, everything is okay. Then sitting and wondering what summer camp am I going to put my kid to? You know, is he is he okay? Is he, you know, he's going through a teenage phase. You know, I wonder how I'm going to connect more with him. That's what goes on in my mind. But nobody seems to think of all the normal, regular, boring, mundane things that we do in our life. They seem to think that we're the other, like we're some alien with God alone knows what, when the rest of us are just doing this, you know, so. I guess the, 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 that leads to the, the inevitable question. I mean, there's, to me, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that the the way that media and and media across all levels needs to have these conversations and present these issues when they come up um, but influencing how the media behaves is very difficult, especially these days where it's very difficult to talk about media without talking about corporate media. What can, if, if, if you could say to the average, whatever that means, uh, Canadian, um, here's, the, here's what I need you to do. What would those things look like? You know, it's, it's, it was really nice to see a lot of, you know, thoughts and prayers and, you know, words of support that people are giving to each other. But I still felt like it wasn't enough, you know? It was, it was for like a day, and then the next day, everything was just back to normal. Um, yesterday, I was going for a walk with a Syrian refugee family in Beaumont Park, and um, it was really nice to see there was a lot of um, welcoming nods and smiles that were coming towards this family that was visibly Muslim. And then um, we were walking down, and we saw all of a sudden this uh, guy on a bike you know, coming down the hill with his dog behind. And um, all of a sudden he just stopped right in front of us. And I was a little worried because the, 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 the daughters in this family, they're very scared of dogs, you know, they're newcomers here. They're not always used to dogs. And, uh, and also because of everything that's happening around, you know, you don't know what on earth this guy's going to say, but he just stopped and he got off his bike and he said, he looked at all the family and he just, with his hands, he gestured that Canada is a much better place because of you, you know? And we were just stunned, you know? And then we looked at each other and then we thanked him and, and it felt so good in our heart just to see this stranger in a park just come and say this words of support. And it made the family feel so welcomed, you know? And uh, the conversation went on about dogs and everything. And it was really good that, you know, the dad 
said, you know, we're refugees from Syria. We want you guys to tell your government to, you know, tell the teachers to teach newcomer and refugee kids not to be scared of dogs. And then the guy goes and has a really nice conversation how his dog got, you know, uh, attacked by coyotes. And this family had no idea what a coyote was. And now they got to know what it was. And then they got worried about coyotes rather than dogs. But the whole idea is like a stranger just coming in the middle of the park and just saying something as sweet as that. So that's one thing you can do is like, you know, you know, go to Muslims. They need your support. They need, doesn't matter. Don't be shy. They don't, they won't always be visibly Muslim, but even just people who are, you know, just talk to them, you know, whether they're, you know, looking immigrant or whichever, just let them know that, you know what, you all are welcome. Everybody's welcome. We're happy that you're here. You know, that simple gesture helps, you know. And there's a lot more you can do. Right now, online hate is crazy levels. Everybody's getting radicalized just by reading crap online. You know, if we don't put a stop to online hate and, you know, spread off all these videos by horrible, um, you know, bloggers, then people actually see them, they believe them, and they will think that this is what Muslims really are about. So if you don't report online hate, if you don't comment profusely, because even one comment, it makes that poster sit and wonder that, okay, what? I'm getting not so much a support, but I'm getting people actually speaking against my post. That helps, you know? And then number three, you know, even the Toronto Sun, it's questioning that, oh, is this really a terrorist attack? You know, is this like really... Uh, is Islamophobia really rampant in here? You know, when articles like that come out in mainstream media, call them out. Because if you don't call them out, they will literally contribute towards the death of Muslims. And believe me, you know, I don't know what you will, what satisfaction you will get out of that. Because as Muslims, you know, we're no longer a new community. We're a very established community in Canada. We've been here long enough that we, we, we contribute a lot. And you'll see constantly, you know, throughout the year, there is so much giving that Muslims do. And not just to Muslims, you know, to everyone in the community. They're helping out, they're, they're doing their work and they give back. So if you think that this community is something that is to be demonized, you're harming Canada. And when you come and support each other, you're actually growing towards Canada. You're contributing towards this beautiful country, you know, being even better. So these are things that, you know, even as a regular person you can do. And I did address with you the root causes. One of the root causes is our politicians. If you don't speak out when the politicians constantly stand up for people and countries that are killing Muslims, you know, people think that it is then okay to do it locally if it is already happening globally. So you got to stand up and say, you know what, be fair, stop this. If you are friends to a country that is occupying another nation and, and taking their land away and, and attacking their mosque, you need to be a real friend and say, you know what, you got to stop this. Because if it happens over there, it'll happen over here. So these are things that you can do to at least 
in a regular citizen level to stop Islamophobia. And one thing we keep on hearing about bystander intervention, you know, when a hate crime incident happens or a racist incident happens or an attack happens, most of the time as Muslims, we freeze. We can't believe somebody just said this to us. You saw in that, um, uh, that viral video of that man who in that road rage attack to that Palestinian man, that Tamer Abu Hasira, he came and he, he was attacking him in his own car, confining him not and trying to open the door so he could beat him up and then kept on screaming the most horrifying religious and racial slurs, right? And then um, he knew, this man knew how to hurt Muslims to a point he was even saying that I have a picture of Allah, our prophet Muhammad in my car, do you wanna see it? So he knew how to taunt a Muslim with the most hateful things. So when that happens, Tamer was just completely quiet. He was so shocked that a person can be so ruthlessly violent, villainous towards him. And that's usually what happens, whether you're walking in a park or standing in the transit or sitting in the bus, that's what happens. If you are too scared to intervene, to say anything to this violent person, you can at least stand and create a safe barrier between the attacker and the victim. Just start a conversation with the victim. How are you doing? You know, the weather looks whatever. You know, it's like, don't pay attention to this guy. I'm right here with you. So simple things like that, you know, bystander intervention helps. And tell yourself that, you know what, if I get angry at somebody that looks like an immigrant, that looks different than I am, that looks Muslim or looks racialized or whichever, I will do everything in my care not to be a racist person by insulting that person. I might be having a horrible day. I will say, get the F out, get do whatever, but I won't tell him that go back to your country. I won't tell him that, you know what, you effing whoever you packy or whatever you are, you come from, you, I won't use racialized slurs. These are things that you need to train yourself and your children and people around you. When you're sitting in dinners, you always see those racist jokes from your uncles or your brothers or sisters. Call them out right away. Don't laugh at them just for the sake of being nice in dinner table. This is the time that you stop it because people are literally dying because of this in Canada. You know, you would think that in, in when the Christchurch thing happened, you know, in New Zealand, yeah. when those 50 people got killed, you know, right after there was so much support, Nate. You know, for Muslims, they're like, we support you. We're there with you. You know, they were doing the call for prayer in this big vigils, you know. And I see, I don't understand what's happening in Canada. Before this London attack happened, there were so many other, you know, Islamophobic hate crimes that it was like as if, you know, before that big earthquake, there's those tremors that happen that leads up to an earthquake. And that's what was happening. Then the big earthquake happened. And instead of all these, I support you, we, we stand with you, there is now large aftershocks that is happening. You see that? Like it didn't just, that London attack wasn't just the, the, the big thing that's going to stop and, and wake people up. Instead, we saw right after, you know, the Edmonton uh, Ahmadi Mosque, it got a swastika attacked by Nazis. 
We saw yeah. the uh, the lady, the black Somali lady in Edmonton. She's probably the seventh one now who got attacked by an unknown stranger as she was walking and somebody pulled her from the back and threw her on the ground, you know, you know, busting her face and her teeth. And then we saw um, this lady who was not even a Muslim, but she was interested to know about Islam. So a friend of mine who's on a Facebook friend gave her a Quran to read. And she was simply reading that Quran on Olympic Plaza in a bench. And this guy, white guy comes out of nowhere and tells her, well, you don't look like them. Then why are you reading their trash, their, their mind uh, brainwashing trash? And before she could even say anything, the man took the Quran out of her hands and tore it into pieces. These are things that happened after the London attack. So these are those aftershocks that we're still experiencing. And it is horrifying and hateful in ways that I can't imagine. It is creating such a worry and alarm level and, and scare factor in Muslims that I'm getting messages from hijabi Muslim women saying that I'm so scared to come out that I took my hijab off. You know, can you imagine what a woman can go, go through in her mind to say that, you know what, I'm too scared to walk anymore. I'm too scared to go to work. Children are talking to their parents. They're asking them, mom, why is this happening to us? Why are they doing this to us? Mom, I don't want you to go out. I'm scared for you. Can I come and sleep with you? Kids are too scared to even let go of their parents because they, they were so shocked that something as horrifying as just simply walking it, taking an evening walk on a nice summer day is now being seen as an act of bravery. How did we get here? Whatever we got here, Nate, we need to get out. We need to get out with all of our power and strength and we need to do it quickly. And we can't as Muslims do it alone. That's why we need the entire community to step up in every possible way. Otherwise, you know what? This country of Canada, this, this the entire world, I don't know what to say. We, we can't let this go down the drain. We gotta do everything to protect what we have built. So that's all I wanna say. I, yeah, I, I it's just so heartbreaking to hear that. Uh, and, and I know that it has been happening for a long time and, uh, this this is why I, I I wanted to have this conversation, and this is why I wanted to ask, what can people do? Because it's so clear that boy, do we need to do so much more. Um, uh, and man, I just I <laughs> it's going to sound weird, but I just want to take a bunch of Muslim women out for a walk now, so that they don't have to 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 be afraid. Um, the the one other thing that I wanted to to mention because I think it's so important that that people know um, is and and I I asked you to pass on some kudos so I'm going to give a little bit of context to that story because I think it's 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 so important because if one of the things that I have I have personally struggled with in watching the the conflict particularly in the Middle East is I. I if you had asked me um, a couple months ago, do I see any way for a resolution? 
as as somebody who's never been there and who has has grown up in the the western culture that i have i probably would have said i don't i don't see a solution i don't see how this is going to resolve but i had the the privilege of attending one of the 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 palestine the, the free palestine um rallies that happened in my role as a paramedic a little while ago uh and I have never seen anything so inspiring and humbling as the people who were doing the conflict mitigation from the Muslim community there. Uh, and I, I did reach out to you and I did say, who was that guy? Because he was a wizard. He was a Jedi. Um, and I think that, that the, the reason why I want to share this story in this podcast is because... Um, the greatest peacemakers that I think I've ever seen in my life were, were people who were coming from the Muslim community, working to make sure that that rally stayed positive and uh, didn't go off the rails. And, and I just wish that there were more people who were aware that that exists because I, I, have a, I, I am a cynic on the best of days and that, that little dose of hope was quite something for me. Um, so, yeah. Um, you know, it's these rallies for Palestine that we've been having, there's been like six of them. And we try our level best to make sure that the security and the peace is maintained at all times. And our elders, our, you know, um, even our youth, you know, we all come together to do that. But sometimes the youth, they get very, pumped up they get very excited they're like this is our time to finally tell the world you know all the atrocities and the injustices that are happening but then we always have our elders there to remind us yes do that but do it in a safe way in a way that is peaceful in a way that is you know actually conducive to something positive happening you know so that's why the person that you saw there Zuhair Othman, you know, he's a, he's a very well-known volunteer in our community. He helps um, people get buried um, when we Muslims die. He's a, a very well-respected person. So he's always there to make sure that we do the right thing. So, um, you know, as Muslims, we are already going through a lot of global tragedies. We were going through the whole Israel-Palestine you know, massacres in Gaza. And, and it was very difficult for us seeing this, very difficult. And that's why you saw week after week, Sunday after Sunday, car rallies, you know, processions, marches. Nobody wants to come out in a pandemic, nobody. But then when people are dying, you know, 66 children dead and nobody could stay home anymore. And while we are handling, trying to get a grapple on that, we discovered this 215 uh, grave of children that were indigenous in Kamloops, BC. And when, as we are trying to grapple with that, the whole thing in London happens. This, this horrendous, horrifying, you know, hit and run, mowing a family simply because they're Muslim. Like our tragedies, there's no end to it. There's no end to it, you know, and as Muslims, we feel as much for the indigenous people of Canada, as much as we are feeling for ourselves. But it's just that right now, I don't see any other population being attacked as much as we are. 
I don't see any other population getting multiple reports of hate crime happening on a day from being killed to being women. The most, like, think about it, attacks on women. Like, who attacks women? You know, just yesterday, the police put out this lady near the C train station in Center Street and 4th. You know, she was just standing there with her kids and she was wearing a burqa. And this, this bystander, this good Samaritan saw like how another white man was like screaming at her, the worst religious racial slurs. It's like our women, the most vulnerable of us are getting attacked left, right and center. You know, so if, if the rest of us aren't gonna really pay attention to Islamophobia and stop these hate crime and stop this institutional Islamophobia, I don't know how we can survive in Canada. You know, we, Nate, you're doing the show. You've got listeners that are listening to it. I just want them to take this message. If you have concerns about Muslims, you know, come and talk to a Muslim. Become friends with them. You know, get to know them. We're very hospitable people. We're great hosts, you know, because we come from countries where our guest is like the, we put them on our head. You know, we, we welcome them in ways that you cannot imagine. You know, we feed them, we love them, we, we respect them more than our family members. That's the kind of culture most Muslims come from. So every time you'll see that you're putting out a hand of friendship, you will get a, a big hand of friendship and hospitality back. You know, that simple gesture of smile or sitting down with a coffee, you will get to know each other. You'll break all that fear of the unknown that you have. You will see that this is not a terrorist. This is not something to berate and be afraid of. You know what? We've been doing this show for two years. Um, and we've we've covered some, some pretty serious topics. Um, I have been sitting here this whole time and the only thing I can think is this is probably the most important episode that we've ever done. Um, I want to thank you so much. Um, I, I do not have words that will work, so I'm just going to stumble my way through it. Um, I want to thank you so much for being willing to come on and be this honest and this raw during a time that I have no illusions. I can't understand uh, how difficult it is. Um, and, uh, I want to say unequivocally, uh, Canada is better for having you here. There's, that's all I got. Um, and I would go for a walk with you anytime. Uh, and the other thing that I'll say, because I do believe that, that a big part of this has to come from... <laughs> Uh, the the, the middle-aged white guys. Um, I, I give you my word anytime that I see anybody behaving in the ways that you've described, I will step in. Um, and I would encourage every other middle-aged white guy to find a way to do the same thing because I, I am, I'm done with people saying this isn't Canada. It is, but I do believe that we can be better. And I think that it's because of the bravery of people like you that we'll get there. Uh, thank so, you, Nate. Thank you. I've always got like tears in my eyes now because, you know, when you go through what you've gone through, even one word of support 
you hang on to that, you know, you cling on to that. So thank you, Nate, for giving me the time today to come and speak my mind and uh, showing that support and telling me that this was one of the most important episodes that you did. I hope people take home that um, what we spoke about to their heart and uh, take action. I hope so too. Thank you again. Thank you. And that's it for another episode of The Breakdown. As always, if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here, we'd ask you to please consider to sign up to be one of our uh, Patreon supporters at our Patreon site at www.patreon.com slash thebreakdowneb. Uh, and if you uh, are listening to the audio version of this podcast, we'd also ask you to leave a rating and a review because that helps us get the podcast into the ears of more people. As always, we want to say a big thank you to our current Patreon supporters. Uh, and we also want to say thank you to everybody who is just listening to this episode today because it's, it's a privilege that you're choosing to spend your time listening to what we're trying to do here. So thank you.